Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, renewalchicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. Well, this morning we're going to be back in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and meet me there. We're still in our Sermon on the Mount series. I don't know about you, I see y'all didn't clap for Pastor Cole when I said that at the beginning, but this sermon series has been pricking at my heart. It's been messing with my heart in a good way. I've been learning about God, I've been encouraged, I've been challenged in my faith, and I hope you have too as we continue to walk through this. Today we're going to be in chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Once you have it, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand to your feet with me this morning, if you're able. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. If you got it, go ahead and say, got it. it. Text reads starting in verse 19. It says, Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember that. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, How great is the darkness. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The very words of God. Amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, where does my loyalty lie? Can you turn to your neighbor and say, where does your loyalty lie? Where does my loyalty lie? That's the question we're going to ask this morning. Before we get into it, let's pray together. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. You're awesome in all your ways. We're undeserving, God, of your love. But yet you choose to look low and love us. God, I just pray right now that you would just remove me, hide me behind your cross, decrease me so that your folks can hear a word from you and not from me. I need to hear it, God. We need to hear from you, God. May you be lifted up in this place. Father, have your way. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. Well, you ever had that friend in your life or that person in your life where you have no idea where their loyalty lies? I mean, it's the worst, right? You got that friend, that person in your life, you're always asking, do you really love me? Do you really care about me? Are you loyal? Y'all got that person in your life? 
Y'all can be honest. We all got that friend. We're like, man, I don't know if they really, they just use me. I mean, y'all, well, for me, I, I learned about loyalties and disloyalties through my kids. I, I, I see it all the time. I love them to death. I love them with all my heart. But, yo, they will flip on you in a minute. I mean, go from giving you hugs to smiles and then just straight, ah, I want my candy. I want this. I mean, just start yelling. You're like, what? I thought you loved me. You just gave me the biggest hug especially when they're babies and they're, they're hungry. Oh, man. When they're hungry, then nothing else matters. My little man, DJ, he's going through this right now. DJ is at this place where when, he, when you're giving him food, he's smiling, happy. He's your best friend. He's hugging on you. He loves you. But when you don't give him food or when you don't have food, he don't want nothing to do with you. You're like, DJ, I thought you cared about me, bro. I thought we were cool. We, we were blowing it up and everything. And you, 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 you. Once I don't have any food, you went the other way. I mean, every morning I'm up, I'm cooking bacon and eggs. I'm, I'm getting it in, in the kitchen. I'm getting ready for work, and I'm cooking. And my little man, he'll come up. He starts tugging on my pants. Daddy, peace, peace, peace. He can't say please with the L, so he says peace, peace. And I'm just like, man, this is so cute. He is so cute. He wants something from me. So, I, you know, I got to love him if I give him some more bacon. So I break some of the bacon off, and I give little DJ some bacon. And he's like, yeah, he's excited, his big old smile, everything. But once the bacon is gone, my man just, it's like he chucks the deuces and is like, I'm out of here. Let me get back to my, 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 my trucks. I'm good. He could care less about me anymore. And I'm sitting there like, dang, man, I just feel so used. I mean, you ever been there before? You got a friend, that person in your life, where you, you give everything, and you're like, man. But at the end of the day, you're like, do you really care about me? Do you really love me? Are you truly loyal? Where are your loyalties? I mean, and then when we get in this passage, you, you see Jesus is asking the same question. He's looking at his disciples, he's talking to them, and he's saying, look, look, he's making it clear that the Christian's loyalty has to be to him and him only. In essence, he's saying everyone has a choice with how they live. They can live for me or not. There's no in-between, you're either hot or you're cold. So the question is, we have to answer this, where does my loyalty lie? Where does my loyalty lie? Here in our passage, Jesus is transitioning from principles of spirituality and religious life in the first 18 verses of chapter 6, which we've looked at, and now he's transitioning to principles for spirituality in everyday life now in verses 19 through 34. See, what Jesus is going to make clear is that the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven works out in the details of one's personal life. Don't miss that. See, the reality of heaven, the, the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven is not just the not yet. It works out now in the details of someone's personal life, which means that people can't just claim to be Christian and then live a whole nother way on the other hand. Like, well, well I'm a Christian, but I'm going to live righteous when I get to heaven with God. 
You know, when we get there to heaven, it's going to be all good. I'm going to live a whole different life. It's going to be me and God. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. See, the kingdom of heaven is not just a not yet. It's not a yet to come. It's also a now for the believer. Which means that people that are not believers should notice something different about the believer. This means that the believer should give people or the watching world a glimpse of heaven. This is why we we preach intentionally about racial reconciliation. We talk about crossing lines of division and crossing the socioeconomic divide in a city like Chicago that's divided on multiple different lines because the gospel not only wants us to be reconciled to Jesus. Jesus didn't come down here to die for us just to be reconciled to God, but horizontally when his hands are in that cross, we're reconciled to one another. So when we preach the gospel, it's also living it out in real life, crossing lines that divide us. And here's why, because when you get to heaven, there's not going to be any lines of division. White over here, black over there. No, no, we're all going to be together and we're going to be worshiping God. So the believer is to give a glimpse of heaven to watching world. See, the big difference between now and heaven though is the presence of sin and evil. In heaven, there's not going to be any presence of sin and evil. It's hard to fathom, but it won't be there. But hear me, that doesn't mean that people should live the way they want to live right now and say, well, one day it's going to change. Family, we all, believe it or not here, should be living with eternity in our minds. And the believer should work out the details of being called a kingdom of man, a kingdom woman in their life, letting the world see that there's a bigger hope than what they see around them. It's a hope of heaven. So again, what we'll see in these next few verses is that Jesus gives us some principles for spirituality in everyday life. So today in the passage, Jesus calls his followers to choose their master. Either it's God or it's your earthly possessions. And next week, we're going to look at how we will work through or choose our outlook on life, either faith or worry. Now, as we jump in, you look at this passage, if you got your Bibles open, in verse 19, there's this simple understanding. Y'all want to keep your Bibles open as we walk through line by line. See, in verse 19, there's this simple understanding that the believer's treasure is not on earth, but it's in heaven. See, this gives us the sense that everything we gain on this earth can simply be lost or destroyed. Everything of value that we gain on earth can be lost. Money can be stolen. Cars will rust. Houses will get old. Style goes out or it changes. That man or woman, that fine man or woman, they're going to get old one day. And it's not going to be the track body anymore or the muscles like Hercules. Nope, nope, nope. It's going to be wrinkles and a big old gut. Truth. And here's the other reality that we all cannot forget. Ain't no U-Hauls going to heaven. It means you can't take anything with you. The reality is that everything we have will one day be no more or it can be lost. 
So what Jesus is getting at is that the believer's focus, or anybody for that matter, that's focusing on getting all you can right now, or you're in this place where your trust is in all you have, or the people and places and things on this earth, he's saying that that focus or that trust is futile. It's meaningless. Here's why. Because things and people by themselves aren't eternal. So Jesus says, don't store up your treasures on earth, but instead lay up your treasures in heaven. Because the reward in heaven with him forever is far greater than anything we can achieve on this earth. I mean, you're not following me. So it, it's like this. Pastor Coble said it last week. He said it pretty clear. He said, if, you, if, if you're fasting, and when you're fasting, you're doing it for people to see you. You want them to see how good you're doing. You're, I'm, I'm on this diet. I'm, I got it going right. I'm doing this. Not for me. It's for God. You're telling the whole world about, about it. You're trying to gain a reward from God. Look at me, God. He said, the only reward you're going to get is right now. You, you might get some approval from some people. You might get affirmation. But then he said, you get no claps from God. God's not saying, yay, way to go. I'm glad you gave that up for me. Because here's the thing. God's not concerned with what we bring to the table. He's not sitting around saying, Derek, what you got for me today? How are you going to act today? Because here's the reality. God can gain nothing from us or get anything from us that he can't get already by himself or that he doesn't already have. Which is why he sends Jesus. Because if we had all it took, if, if we could uphold the holy standard of sinlessness, no blemishes, no faults, we always get it right, we're obeying the law, his commandments to a T, we do all of those things great, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come. But Ecclesiastes 7.20 tells us that surely there's not a righteous man on this earth who does good and never sins. So God sends Jesus. Because with our sinfulness and God's holiness, the two don't mix. They don't go together. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. In fact, if you've ever seen oil and water, if you've ever studied it, the oil repels the molecules of water. They, they don't want to go together. It's the same thing with our sinfulness and God's holiness. So in order for us to be in relationship with him, we have to be like God. And the only way to be like God is not anything we do or what we bring to the table. It's through our belief and trust in Jesus and his righteousness, him covering us with his grace, his mercy. It's not anything we bring to the table because Jesus, God in the flesh, died for us, made a way for us to get right with God. So it's through trusting in him that we can have relationship with God. And through that belief, you know what Ephesians tells us? I love the words. It says that the grace of God has been lavished upon us. See, that, that word lavished, I, I don't think, I think we read over it too quickly. It's been lavished. I mean, think about the imagery. So now instead of seeing our mess, I say this to you all the time, God doesn't see our mess. He sees Jesus' awesomeness. That's good news. See, he's not looking at us and saying, I can't believe you did that yesterday. I can't believe you did that this morning. Shame on you. 
You're supposed to be better than that. No, no, God's not looking at you saying that. But instead, if you're a believer, he's looking at Jesus. Because we're cloaked in the righteousness of God. I mean, think about that. You're, you're covered in the righteousness of Jesus. Cloaked in his righteousness, his la- the grace has been lavished upon you. I don't think we realize how good that is. See, I'm about to pull up in your driveway if I'm not there already. Some of y'all, I'm in your kitchen. Y'all not, y'all not listening to me still. See, because here's the point. If we don't have what it takes, don't miss this. If we don't have what it takes to be holy, and if what we gain here has no eternal weight, and if my only way to gain an eternal reward or everlasting life is through Jesus, then why not seek to do things he would do? Why not seek to live the way he did? Why not seek to produce fruit like he produced? I mean, if all that's going to matter at the end of the day is what's done in Christ, then you can be a billionaire, you can be a millionaire, you can make six figures, but if you're not seeking to do the will of God in your life, meaning you're not seeking to glorify him with your life, then you're still going to be eternally poor. See, the gospel is offensive, but that's truth. It's not what matters here. It's what matters for eternity. And I know you're sitting there saying, Pastor, well, I want to do well in my life here. I'm on my way up. I want to live the good life. I want to have that American dream, you know, the white picket fence, the house, the dog, and that fine spouse. I want all of it. Someone is saying that this morning. Here's the the reality. If I drew a straight line, hear me. If I drew a straight line and I put a dot in the middle of that line, with the naked eye, you're probably not going to be able to see that dot, but you'll still see the line. Look at this picture. You see, that dot on that line is your life. But the line is eternity. And here's the sobering reality about a line. If you know anything about geometry, you ever study lines, lines go on forever in both directions. They don't stop. The question we must answer is which side of the line are we living for? It's a sobering truth, and I'm not saying this to scare you. The question we have to answer is which side are we living for? Is it eternity with God in heaven or somewhere else? The Bible's pretty clear. If we're not living for God, we're living for someone else. Satan, I mean, we, we, hell, it, it's somewhere else. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that to scare you. It's a sobering reality and a question and a truth we have to hear and contemplate and think about and know. See, living for God is simply living for Jesus first, which means that in our motives, everything, we we have to question, am I doing this for me to prop myself up, to glorify myself, or am I doing it to glorify God? Is it for his kingdom or is it for me? 
Because here's the reality. When you do things for God and his kingdom, when you work to his glory, you know who it actually benefits? You. Benefits him first, but you get the benefit too because you'll be with him forever. But here's the good news. Because even when we fail at that, as a believer, when you fail at that, because we all do, we all strive and we go backwards and we start doing our own thing, we start working to our own glory, I'm going to do me, I'm going to get it done the way I want to do, God, I got you in the cabinet, but I'm going out here and I'm going to live my life. Even when we do that, we all do it. You know, God is so good and he's still gracious because in the midst of you doing your own thing, you're still covered by Jesus his sacrifice, so his approval is not based on your mess, and when you mess up over and over again, but he's still looking down at Jesus and saying, well done. Well done, my daughter. Well done, my son, because he sees Jesus. He doesn't see our mess. Now, in the midst of that, here's the question, because if God is that good and he approves of you regardless of what you do, wouldn't you want to live for him? That's good. I mean, that's a love that's unknown in this world because if I'm being God, if I am God, y'all better be thankful I'm not God, because if I'm God and I knowing you're going to go against me, you're going to be my enemy, you're not going to listen to me, you're going to disobey, you're going to hang me on a cross, you better believe I'm not creating you. And I'm definitely not sending my only son to die for you. But God, the text says, the Bible says, being rich in mercy, not only creates you and I, but then he sends his son to die for you and I. That's good news. And see, that's a goodness that makes you want to know more. That's a kindness that draws you near. That's a love that I want to experience. That's a love that I want to get to know, which makes me strive after Jesus instead of what I can gain in this world. Y'all just missed your amen. See, in this passage, Jesus is saying every person has a choice between activities that lead to greater earthly reward in the present or those that soar greater future reward in heaven. And the Bible says that there's consequences for making the wrong choice. Mark 8, 36 says this, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? How we live today and what or who we live for determines where our soul will rest, or in other words, your eternal resting place. Which brings us to this big question. Who or what holds your heart? Who or what holds your heart? Jesus in verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Y'all see that? See, the heart throughout Scripture refers to the center of one's being. It refers to one's emotions, their reasoning, their will. Where your heart is where your treasure will be also. Where your heart is, that's where what you, you'll care about. It's where you'll love more than anything. See, what lies in our heart is what drives us. For some of us, it's power. 
power to be able to make anything happen. I can do it. You got to tat it all. I can do all things. You got to tat it all on your arm, but it doesn't mean you can do all things through Christ. It's like, I got the power. It's all on me. For some of us, it's control. You have to have everything at your fingertips. I can do all these things. I, I, I have to control everything. And if you're out of control, you're fearful, you're afraid, you're, you're, you're scared. For some of you, it's approval, and you want everyone to like you, so you struggle with people-pleasing. For some of you, it's comfort. For some of you, it's that man or woman you've been yearning for your whole life. You want that spouse, and that's not a bad thing. It's okay to want that, but when it starts to be a bigger want than God, that's a bad thing. Then it becomes an idol. For some of us, it's our kids. Yeah, your kids can be too great of a value in your life. Where they start running your life, everything is about them. You can't do anything. For others, as the passage notes, it's their money. So again, what is... What is it in your life that you treasure? Where is your heart this morning? Be honest, what is the one thing that destroys you when you don't have it? What makes you mad? What makes you sad? See, we have to look under the covers of our feelings and our motives, and there will lie your treasure. Now hear me, there's nothing wrong with having material possessions or people in your life, but the question is, do they hold the keys to your heart? Because that's the issue that Jesus is getting at right here. Who holds the keys to your heart? Jesus moves on and he further illustrates the point he's trying to make and he talks about the eye being the lamp of the body. Now, the eye in Jewish culture was viewed almost as important as the heart. So what this, what Jesus is doing, he's beating the same drum of devotion. He's beating it again. And hear me, good eyesight is synonymous now with the loyal devotion to God. With bad eyesight being, or impaired vision is synonymous to moral corruption, not a good devotion with God. So, so, so when your devotion to God and your eyesight is on Him, Things line up. Things are right in your life. Things feel good. Your body, your being is healthy. But when your eyesight is bad, when you're focused on the wrong things, things that are not of God, then things never feel right. You're never satisfied because your vision is impaired. Some of y'all missing this. So how many of y'all have ever looked at a stereogram before? Y'all know what I mean? It's an optical illusion. Stereogram. I, I used to love these things when my mother would buy them, and I would, I would stare at them all day. Stereograms. Anybody know what that is? Yeah. They're images that are created to give this visual illusion of a three-dimensional image or scene from a two-dimensional vantage point. See, it's, it's kind of like this one. Basically, it's a 3D picture inside of a regular picture. I used to love looking at these images. Because I'd sit there and I'd stare at them, and if you just glance at them, you miss what's happening in the picture. You miss it because you're not really looking at it. You just see a whole bunch of colors. But when you stare intently at it, when you look at it, the image literally begins to pop off of the page because you're staring at it. 
You're not taking your eyes from it. Some of y'all right there right now, staring at it. You see it? See, but the problem is, most of the time, we can't keep our eyes focused on the picture long enough because our attention span is too short. Mm. We get distracted. So we never experience the wonder of a stereogram. You see, Jesus is saying that just like with that stereogram, when your eyes stay focused on me, when your eyes stay focused on the kingdom of heaven, when your eyes stay focused on eternity, you experience the amazing wonder, the peace of God, and the vastness of all his riches for all eternity. But the problem is, just like with the stereogram, our attention span is too short. So when God doesn't show up quick enough, what do we do? We start trying to figure out how to fix it. Start trying to figure out how to do it in my own power. When God doesn't show up the way you want him to or do what you want to do in your life, you're like, I'm done with you, God. I tried. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm done, God. I got this. It's on me. See, our attention span is too short. And see, the thing is, we don't really ever realize this, but yeah, 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 yeah. We're not fully devoted to God anymore. We gave up on him. But what we fail to realize is that not being fully devoted to God, here it is, we begin to serve someone or something else. Yep, just pulled up in your driveway. See, we start serving our money. Never have enough. Working two, three jobs. 100-hour weeks, we, we, just have, we never have enough. Start serving our family, go over and beyond. Can't miss a practice, can't miss a game, got to take them here. It's all on me, it's up to me. We start serving our jobs, our insecurity or our security. We start serving the need for approval, our control, our power trip. We're serving something or someone and unknowingly, you know what begins to happen? Our whole moral compass begins to shift and we start running the hamster wheel of success. We start running the hamster wheel of approval. We start running the hamster wheel of control. We start running the hamster wheel of power. You name it. And I keep saying hamster wheel, you know why? Because it never stops, it keeps going. Whatever you're serving, it always wants more. The reason it always wants more because it's a temporal satisfaction that doesn't last for eternity. So what do we do? Just like addicts, we keep going back over and over and over and over again because we need more. We need more. And when we don't get that comfort, when we don't get that spouse, we don't get that money, we don't get that control, that power, you name it, fill yours in. We feel miserable. We feel miserable because it's not just something we're devoted to, but now we've become a slave to it. We're serving something else, which leads to this last part Jesus ends with. He says, you can't serve two masters, God and money, but notice he doesn't say money until the end in verse 24. Yeah, notice that. 
A lot of times we read this and we're like, it's all about God and our money. No, 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 no. The reason being is because the premise of what Jesus is trying to get at right now is bigger than your money. In fact, that word money in his original language is pronounced mammon, which actually refers to one's per personal, a person's, all of their material possessions. It's not just your money, it's everything you have. Do you notice the progression of Jesus questioning the Christian devotion all throughout this passage? He starts with where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's devotion. Then he asks about your eyesight and where do you, what do you focus on? Again, it's devotion, which leaves this lingering question, why is devotion important? Why does he keep beating this drum over and over again? What is Jesus doing? Hear me, because whatever you're devoted to, you serve it and you're loyal to it. It's like I said, you become a slave to it. In fact, this word that Jesus uses, serve, in its original language, is better translated slave. So really, when, when we translate it here, we lose the emphatic language that Jesus is using. See, Jesus is really saying, when you're not devoted to God, then you are a slave to something else. It runs you, it owns you, you run to it. And Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. In essence, he's saying, I'm not here to play second fiddle. Jesus isn't just talking. This is some serious language. This is him calling us up. Jesus is saying, you either choose me or something else. You can't choose me in your morning devotion, but not throughout the rest of the day at your job or in your school. Jesus said, you can't choose me on Sunday morning and not throughout the rest of the days. Come on now, Jesus says, look, 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 he says, you can't choose me in the good times and not the bad. Jesus saying like we do, I ain't the one. You're not going to play with me like that. You're the in or you're out. You can serve one master. In other words, he's saying the disciple's loyalty, the Christian disciple's loyalty is to me only. It cannot be divided. Again, he's saying it's either your earthly treasures, what you have here, what you want, or it's me. Now, hear me again. I said it already. Before you go out here saying, Pastor D said, well, I can't have nothing in this life. I can't have anything good, no good possessions. I just got God. That's all I need. Y'all, I'm not preaching a so-called poverty gospel right now. I'm not saying you can't have stuff. You can't have good things. You can't have riches. You can't have wealth. You can have all of that. But the question we have to answer is, with all of that, which is an American problem, who or what are you truly devoted to? Where do your loyalties lie? Here's a better question. If everything you have was taken away from you, would you still love and worship God? Let me end with this. How many of us have read the book of Job? Some Bible thumpers in here read the book of Job, right? Sunday school. How many, we've read the book of Job and we've walked through it. And in Job, there's a man who is very wealthy. He has servants. 
He has kids, he has a wife, he has land, he has animals, you name it, Job has it all. In fact, in the first three verses of Job, look at it with me. Look how it reads. It says, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, who feared, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. Y'all thought I had a lot of kids. <laughs> says he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. Dude had so many servants, they didn't even try to count. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Job served God and he was wealthy. But one day God allowed Satan to test and strike Job. His land was taken, his children were killed, his livestock was gone, his sheep, everything, all his servants, everything was taken away from him. They were all killed, it was gone. Job is left with boils all over his body. I don't know if you had a boil, just one of them like, literally is killing me. He had boils all over his body and he starts scraping them with glass, broken glass, trying to get them off. He's left with boils on his body, a wife that's telling him to give up on God, leave the faith, and then some lousy friends that are like just just horrible that's all Job has he had everything and he he's left with nothing now here's the point Job lost everything and although it hurt there's many tears that were shed he never lost his faith or trust in God because although he lost everything his hope his trust his faith wasn't in what he had it was in God And in the end, guess what? Job got everything back and more. And see, many of us read the story of Job and we feel like we're in our Job moment. God is allowing Satan to mess with me. He's in my heart. He's taking things away from me. I'm struggling in this life. I can't go on anymore. And that may be true for some of us, but for most of us, it's not true. If we're honest, what has happened is that we've devoted ourselves to what we can gain, what we can have in this life, or what we already have instead of God. And we feel like that Job moment. There's no satisfaction. We don't have what we need. See, our earthly treasure, we're praising, we're treasuring that instead of God. Again, the question we must answer is, if everything I had was taken away, would I still love God? Better yet, when things go wrong, do I turn to God? Renewal, where do your loyalties and your, where, where does your devotion lie this morning? Is it with God? I don't want y'all to miss this. Some of us are missing this. It, it's kind of like the song we sing. If I have you and nothing else, I have everything. Look at these words as I, I read through them. Look at them, and I just want you to meditate on these words. I want you to think about these words. It starts and it begins, it says, I don't need the riches of this world. I can't even take them where I'm going. I don't need a thousand empty words. I just need the ones that you have spoken. If I have you and nothing else, 
I have everything. He keeps going. He says, I don't need to see tomorrow's plan. I just need to trust that you are working. I don't even need to understand. I just need to keep you as the first thing. If I have you and nothing else, I have everything. If I have you and nothing else. You see, family, those words right there are to be the declaration of the Christian's heart. Their devotion is to be the only Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not that you can't have anything. I just walked through Job's life and we talked about his wealth. We talked about all that he had. But if we have nothing, the question we have to answer, is Jesus enough? Family, Jesus, is he enough? And let me tell you why he's enough. Because Jesus steps out of heaven, comes down here, lives the life that we were supposed to live without sin, no blemishes. He takes our pain. He gets kicked. He gets punched. He goes through all of this pain and suffering. He takes the wrath of God upon himself, the wrath of God that we were supposed to experience. Hikes up a hill called Golgotha and he hangs on a cross with nails in each one of his hands and nails in each one of his feet for you and me. The death that we deserved, he died it on the cross. And through our belief in him, you know what? We get breath in our lungs. We get hands to achieve and do the work we want to do. We get to walk amongst this earth. We get to live each day. And then it doesn't stop there. But after this world, we get to live with him forever and ever in glory. We get to experience every day the vastness of his glory, the vastness of his grace, the vastness of his majesty forever and ever. And that's why we can sing that song. If I have you and nothing else, I got everything. That's why we sing that song. We got everything in him. So this is what I want to do as we end the day. There's some of us that walked in here today and said, I want to believe that. I want to believe that if I have Jesus, I have everything, but I don't even know where to start. It starts with your belief. It starts with putting a stake in the ground and say, Jesus, I've tried everything. I need you. I want you. I'm coming to you. If you're at that place, here's the good news. The Holy Spirit's already working in you to pull you close to him. He's drawing you near. All it is is you believing now and declaring those words. But on the other hand, there's some people that walked in here this morning that are believers and we're still holding on to our stuff. We're still holding on to our hopes and dreams. We're still pulling our stuff into the picture. And you know what? We're never fully realizing or experienced the goodness that God has for us because we want it our way. And the Christian devotion or the declaration of the heart is if I have a you, nothing else. I have everything. So family, this is what we're going to do to end this sermon today. If that's your declaration, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front or anything, but I just want you to stand with me as our worship team sings this song together. I'm going to sing it with you. If that's your declaration, if you're saying that's my want this morning, I want to be in that place, or it's a declaration of your heart already, I want you to just stand. Go ahead and stand with me right now as we sing this song together.
you need prayer, I'm going to ask Pastor Luke, come on up here if you want. He's in the front. I'm going to pray when this song is over, but if you need prayer in this moment, just come down. We'll extend this through communion. But sing this song with us. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you. Thank you.